is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to Decode, the Batuta Advocates political podcast. And welcome back to News from the Trough. It's the first one of 2023. It has been a little while between drinks, but we are getting back into it with our recaps of what's been happening in the world of politics, the things that people are talking about, the things people aren't talking about enough, the things that make us laugh and the things that confuse us or shock us. My name is Wendell Hussey. I've got Leslie Burley with me once again. Leslie, how are you? I am happy to be back back in the ring mate i've been doing my stretches i've been hydrating i've got sunblock on and i'm ready to go obviously it's uh, it's great to have you on the podcast you've been in and out of the office people who listen to the podcast may not know that but you know as our crack political editor you're all over the country you're in the batuta advocate office you're out you're down in canberra you do arts as well. You do all sorts of stuff. A real slashy, I think they're called uh, in this day and age, but you do it all for The Advocate. But it's good to have you back on the podcast. We've also got new fixture, Dior Dave in here, ready to rip into things. Dave, how are you? I'm feeling great, Wendell. Great to be here with you and with Leslie. We've had a few interviews together, but mm. I've never really been down in the trough yet. So I'm happy to be here with you two as my trusty guides leading me through, making sure my boots don't get stuck in the mud. Yeah, well, look, I'd say it's more uh, like the trough that you'd see, say like a bit of an old kind of rundown urinal where they've got the trough stand, but a couple of the legs have fallen out and it's just kind of like in the urinal there. So there's little bits and splashes. Like, Not great for Birkenstocks or thongs, but... Yeah, it's kind of get a little bit a bit splashy, a bit um, bit down and deep into it. Um, but yeah, it's great to have you on. Three of us going to wrap up what's been happening. We're going to start off the way we have in the past with our clangers and bangers, the things over the last little while that have uh, that have stuck out to us and caught our attention. I wanted to start off with the banger. This is my banger over the last couple of weeks, and it was from the Northern Territory Police Commissioner Jamie Chalker, who he came out. Uh, few days ago after Peter Dutton, the leader of the opposition, came out and called for the army, the Australian Defence Force, to be sent into Alice Springs, uh, which a lot of people said was not very helpful at all. The ANT police commissioner came out and said, we can't arrest our way out of this. I'm not sure that the imagery of Australian soldiers who are here to serve our country, dealing with First Nations people in a way that sees them having to arrest them and place them in police vehicles and the like, is the imagery we really want for Australia. I think that was good from Jamie. He jumped in. He kind of dismantled Dutton's arguments and the arguments from those kind of Sky News culture war vultures and um, got on the front foot. And obviously he's the police commissioner, so he's on the ground. He's dealing with this sort of stuff and he's offered up, um, I thought, a good take on that. Now we move on to our clangor, which comes from the man who caused the banger. It's from Peter Dutton. It's not actually a quote, but it is his decision to attend the funeral of former Cardinal George Pell. That's a clangor, isn't it? What do we think about that? I think it's a hard sell as a banger. I think it's definitely a clangor for me. 
Yeah. I heard reports from the airport officers down in Canberra that they had to confiscate a few scissors that he was trying to take with to cut off some of the coloured ribbons himself. But, yeah, I heard that he will be attending. And while I'm not surprised, yeah, that's definitely a clanger in my books. The thing that I find interesting about it is this is the guy, right, who a week ago was saying, send the army in, we need to crack down on crime. He's pretending that, you know, crime is his focus. He's an ex-Queensland cop. Colonel George Pell was convicted of child sexual abuse. His conviction was overturned because he had the weight of the Catholic Church and all of their finances and lawyers behind him and they could manipulate the legal system. But he was convicted. I think it's not exactly like he's an innocent until proven guilty guy. I know there's the arguments around faith and him being a former figure, but Peter Dutton actually previously said it was a modern-day persecution and it was uh, basically a witch hunt going after Cardinal George Bell. Yeah, I just find it ironic that this is a guy accused of crimes who the legal system was going after and he's uh, he's not not backing the legal system and the police for trying to go after this guy who was accused of those things. It's an interesting contradiction on crime, I thought. And Leslie, you had one you wanted to share with us this week as well. That's right. So Mark Latham came out swinging big, tweeting, I'm centrist. Really good, really good. Mark Latham, the guy who likes uh, breaking cab drivers' arms, has come out and said he's a centrist. He's gone as hard right as you possibly can said all sorts of interesting things. That's great from him that he is a uh, a centrist. So there you go. My fears are if he thinks he's a centrist, who does he think is right off of him? That is scary. And maybe get at him on Twitter or something and try and if you bump into him, um, if you've got anything on in Sydney try and, and you're doing politics down there, maybe try and bump into him and see you can get a gauge of who he actually thinks is right wing because that, that would be curious. Now let's get into it with what's probably the biggest story around the country and Western Australia has a new opposition leader after the state's Nationals and Liberal Party both chose new captains. The new leader of the Liberals, we have got Libby Metham, the member for VAS. She's now the uh, leader of the Liberals in Western Australia. Huge news, this. That's it. When there's um, only two people in your whole (laughs) upper house, is it kind of like a yearly rotation thing? It's like you do one year, I do one year. Do they flip a coin? Do they draw the name out of a hat? Like, how does it work? Well, it seems like it could be a bit of a captain, vice captain situation. You know, (laughs) when you get subbed off, if you chuck a sickie, might not be into work. Oh, you take it for the day. No worries. Mm. You just, Mm -hmm. they don't really have any Google Docs or Microsoft Teams going on. It's just Mm. a text message chain between two people. So Mm -hmm. all pretty easy to keep track of, I think. Yeah, they can fit the lower house of the party at a uh, cafe table. Just the two of them, the two chairs. Maybe scissor, paper, rock for the leadership. They do have seven in the Senate, I believe. And they, yeah, two, as we said, in the lower house of parliament so they're essentially minor party the nationals are bigger in western australia but i love that they came out and made a um made a big statement with the new leader that they've elected they also said they're trying to cut down on factions which again it's pretty Mm. funny when there's fucking Mm -hmm. nine of you in parliament how many factions are we working with and how hard are they operating so yeah look that's the big story that's captured everyone's attention and that we're seeing over there in western australia now we should move on to some of the uh the other things that are happening uh maybe not as big obviously but um still worth talking about leslie i believe you wanted to do a bit of a pre-season kind of discussion intro review of what's happened over the last little while and give us the lay of the land where we head into the parliamentary season of 2023 
That's right. Parliament has been on summer holidays, as have we. We're back in the studio. They're about to be back in the office. So we just want to do a state of play before Mm. they come back. So obviously we had an election. We know that. Albo is in. Scotty is out. And the new Labor government is still warming up, growing into their jerseys after 12 years off the pitch. So we've hit about nine months after the election. And to be honest, it's been a weird time. Floods persist across the nation. Ash Barty is no longer in the Australian Mm. Open. Groceries are more expensive. Houses are getting cheaper. Plus, we just had our first Christmas since 2020 that didn't include closed borders. How good. Which is mind-blowing. We're at the other side. That's it. It's all over. So even though we're in this bit of like around the twist world that we're in the new federal government did actually get some work done before hanging up their suits and ties for the Chrissy break mainly working with the greens and the independent crossbench to pass a few key bills so we actually have a federal anti-corruption commission now as of tomorrow that's in yeah i remember that going through and yeah and it's in it's exciting Yeah, so as of tomorrow, people can't do half the things that they used to do all Mm. the time. So that's going to be quite a culture shock in Parliament House tomorrow. There's paid leave for people facing domestic violence. There are gas and energy price caps, and they got through the carbon emission cut Mm. um, policy as well. So they did actually get a bit done. Yeah. I'm curious about the federal ICAC. I wonder if it's just going to be a guy parked away in the back of Parliament House with like an office and an old kind of secondhand Mac and mm, yeah, yeah, mate, dig into crates. it. Yeah. Do it. Do, do your best. Um, keep them honest, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's why there was a leadership shakeup in WA because they might be scared of what kind of WA ICAC comes through now mm. that the federals are setting a setting a trend, so one out of two had to step down for some kind of scandal. I just think it's interesting that a new government has, you know, actually fulfilled somewhat on their promises. And so early on, my worry is that, you know, in two or three years time, by the time the next election rolls around, by the time the campaign starts, everyone would have forgotten about it. And they said, well, what have you done? What promises did you achieve? No, that was probably the guys before you. We don't remember. Yeah, definitely anticipating some gaslighting. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Also, COVID. I know we've spoken about it for three long years. Time has just flown by, hasn't it? Time is a concept and a cruel, cruel mistress at the same time. In the last six months or eight months, we've had a monkeypox scare. We had mad cow scare. We had an encephalitis scare. But COVID no longer exists. Well, it doesn't exist if you get it and mm. you want to get paid leave from the government anyway. And isolation orders have been scrapped. The borders are open and all of us are on to our fifth or sixth <laughs> summer cold of the season. But we're back to normal and we're good to go. We oh, beat it. We're finished. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's done. We won. It's over. I think you yeah. were saying, Dior, that we've had more deaths already this year than we had in the previous couple. Well, you might not believe it because, as you just said, it's over. No one's saying COVID's still around. I don't know. No, None of the media have been speaking mm. about it. But apparently, this is what I read on the numbers, the scientists, the doctors are saying that there have already been more deaths this year than there were in 2020 and 2021. So, you know, that could be troubling if you want to believe the science and the doctors, but... Do you want to believe that? They're also talking about long-term symptoms like brain fog and fatigue. But, you know, a lot of bosses are saying that's just some lazy Australians having a hangover from the summer holidays. So choose who you want to believe and, you know, get on with your lives, really. Mm. Hear, hear, Dave. 
Smiles are back. (laughs) We can put our masks away. And getting on with it, we have the new government hit the ground running when they came to office, hitting up the Pacific as well in the foreign affairs space in order to re-establish relationships that have been fraught for a while, mostly due to Australia's inaction on climate change. And several visits and summits and diplomatic meetings later actually culminated in former Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack overdosing on some kava in Vanuatu. This was possibly the funniest fucking thing that I have seen for a long time. Long time. If you missed it, just search Michael McCormack Carver. The poor fella did an absolute number on himself. Anyone who's had Carver knows it is not to be messed around with. It's strong. He had a stronger version of what normally gets around, but it absolutely sent him for 10. Had to be taken to hospital, vomiting, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for us, there were eyes on the ground and the footage of him killing over on a chair is Brutal. Mm. Penny Wong consolidating him as well. <laughs> oh, man, that must have been so embarrassing. Being God. carried out into the van on his way to hospital. I think it's one of the more relatable things that a politician Absolutely. has done in recent years. You know, lots of Australians have been through the same experience, been around the Pacific or South Asia mm. and had a little bit too much to drink and, you know, ended up in some probably questionable healthcare systems in other countries. That's true, except he managed to do it on the taxpayer dollar, (laughs) which is an achievement. (laughs) But he was in all right spirits about it afterwards. He came out and he said this. Uh, Rumours of my death, as Mark Twain once said, have been greatly exaggerated, so there'll be no uh, Mm. by-election in the Riverina anytime soon. (laughs) Also in the Pacific, across the ditch in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern has resigned as Prime Minister. Now... Us in Australia are pretty used to a change in leadership mid-season, but in this instance, there was no scandal, no backstabbing. She was just too tired. And honestly, Jacinda, same. She literally couldn't even anymore. She was done. She's packed it in. She's actually taken a lucrative job, I believe, with the Otago Credit Union down in Invercargill. 98K a year plus super they're offering her, which is pretty handy. Obviously, like, you know, for someone in sydney or whatever they might think that's not the greatest salary in the world but over in new zealand that's that's huge you know what i mean she's buying houses outright with that sort of money so it's a big deal her parents are stoked everyone in her family is really happy that's that's the dream job she's got that Otago credit union uh job she's managing the branch i think in Evercargill. so mm, plus i hear yeah. they've given her lots of weekends off to go out on fishing trips with her husband yeah. and you know maybe appear on an episode of his show let's hope one can dream Good for Cindy. Meanwhile, in the South China Sea, Australia continues to manage its precarious relationship with China. We want their trade routes. They want our coal. We want America to be the greatest superpower in the world. They're building military bases in the Pacific. Look, I'm still not 100% sure what's happening with the whole submarine situation, but neither is the government. So really, we're on the same page. Yeah, they're confused. Apparently, the uh, US are now going to struggle to get us our submarines in time that came out while penny wong the foreign minister was over in france talking trying to patch things up with france so that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on as well over the next kind of couple of months caused a bit of a stir last year looks like it uh, could blow up again at some point 
Absolutely. And lastly, in the wrap up, we've got to mention the biggest thing that we're going to be talking about this year, which Mm. is the Indigenous voice to Parliament. So the last referendum Australia had was in 1999 and it was about becoming a republic and less than half the population voted and the result was no. It was about 55% no, 45% yes. And anyone you talk to about it who was there talks about how it was this back and forth in fighting thing that happened, which obviously definitely won't happen this time around and definitely didn't happen in 2017 when we had the marriage equality plebiscite, which is probably the most similar thing that we can remember in recent memory. Shout out to Tony Abbott for getting uh, the marriage uh, equality plebiscite done, though. That was a great He process. is the man. Yeah. He is the guy. The great progressive liberal party, the ones to finally get marriage equality in this country. That will be how they are forever remembered. That is his legacy. And that segues us nicely, Leslie, into our next topic. Thank you very much for the wrap-up, the lay of the land, the preview, uh, the top eight, the bottom eight, how things are looking, what's going to be the storylines this year. As you said... The biggest thing this year is probably going to be the voice to parliament. Segues us into our next topic, where we're at. We spoke to a constitutional expert last week about the kind of finer details of referendums and the history of referendums and how they all kind of work. But we thought for this week, we're just going to jump in and kind of wrap up where everyone is at in terms of party lines, what people are saying, how they're saying it, and how it's all shaping up as a debate heading into the year. So... Albanese, he promised uh, before getting elected that he would be bringing about constitutional change and he would be trying to introduce a voice to parliament through a referendum. He did that at the Garmin Festival in Arnhem Land in a keynote speech. He, of course, got elected. He came out on election night. He promised that he would see that through. Didn't hear too much about it for a few months after that. However, it's been revisited and it's come back into the headlines over the last couple of months. Now, Anthony Albanese has been pushing ahead under the premise that he doesn't want to provide the exact details of the referendum. He doesn't want to provide the exact details of the legislation, how the body's going to work, all that sort of stuff. He just wants it to be a vote on whether people believe in a voice or not and they believe in constitutional recognition or not. He just wants it to be a principled thing. But, Wendell, that hasn't gone down well with the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, and the right side of politics. Dutton says he supports a voice to parliament, but he wants to see the detail. He's a big Mm. detail man, Peter Dutton. Yeah, he's a big, big details guy. We know that about Dutton. Um, Detail Dutton. Detail Dutton. He's been very critical of the lack of details, says people don't know what they're voting for. He supports it, he says, but... He just, he needs to see all those details. He is, however, going to join a Canberra-based meeting on a voice to parliament. That's with the working group for the voice to parliament. He's going to do that on Thursday, but he's joining virtually, which has caused a bit of a stir because he's in Sydney for former Cardinal George Pell's funeral. That's why he can't attend the meeting needed to be at George Pell's funeral. We spoke about that at the top of the show, so uh, we might leave it at that. Well, he's kind of known for walking out of these kind of things anyway. So being there digitally will at least make the walk out um, a little less noticeable. (laughs) He can just do it with a click of a button instead of having to get up and use his legs, you know. He can even do the cheeky like camera off and pretend he's still there, but Mm. it actually is, you know, going and making a sandwich and, Mm. you know, on Facebook. And if he wants to make a point, he can just go, Peter Dunn has left the meeting. Yeah. (laughs) 
Now, initially, it was just the two parties basically drawing a line in the sand or a very vague line from the Liberal Party saying they support it, but they want to see details, so they're not going to quite support it. It was it was a line in the sand that could have been blown away by a, a kind of faint gust of wind. But it was kind of the two sides of the debate that we'd seen early in the mainstream media. That's now changed. There's been some strong opposition from people on Albanese's kind of side of politics, I guess you'd say, with Green Senator Lydia Thorpe coming out and saying that she won't support The Voice. She's called for a treaty instead. She said, and I quote her here, a treaty is about peace. It's about us participating in this society in a way where we can prosper like everybody else seems to do in this country. We're the sickest, poorest, dying every day. Nothing is going to change it by an advisory body. Lydia Thorpe's been strong on that. She's got the support of the Greens. A group of high-profile Indigenous Australians have since come out and they've banded with former uh, former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson, who used to be the leader of the Nationals, and they've announced they're going to coordinate the No campaign in this year's Voice referendum. They're running on the slogan, Recognise a Better Way. So that group is Northern Territory Senator Jacinta Price, former ALP president turned Liberal candidate, Warren Mundine, former Federal Labor MP Gary Johns and the former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson, I said there. So their basically argument is that they're going to broadly support the gesture of recognising Indigenous Australians in the Constitution, but they're going to oppose the voice because they say it'll be divisive and it will do nothing to improve the lives of First Nations people. They've also made a point of saying that they want to see recognition in the Constitution for refugees and migrants as well, which I think that's a nice idea, but I get a little bit confused as to why that comes into recognition for Indigenous Australians in the Constitution and why that hasn't been brought up in the past and why it's being brought up now on the no side. Um, So that's an interesting one. But, yeah, that's kind of where it's starting to get a bit more complicated now with different people saying different things, different sides of politics, different representatives, different people basically offering up different points. So it doesn't look like it's going to be simply a Labor Party pushing to have the yes referendum and the Liberal Nationals pushing to have a no. So it looks like it's, yeah, it's going to be uh, quite complicated and quite heated over the next few months. Yep, what used to seem like a pretty straightforward yes or no question has really just turned into a lot of different sides. Yes, but, no, but, maybe, we're not sure, let's find out more detail. It's really hard to tell from what used to be. Mm. Uh, I do wonder if it's putting pressure on the Albanese government to release more detail in advance. Like you said before, they they said that they weren't going to release details of how it would work prior to the vote. And now it feels like pressure is potentially mounting for them to be more specific about things or to make an official commitment to treaty and truth telling as well as, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see whether they kind of buckle under that pressure and bring up more information or if they hold hold fast, yeah. He has stood firm and he said he's not going to do the detail just yet, but as you said, the pressure is going to mount and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Look, of course, this has been happening amidst the crime wave. In Alice Springs, we mentioned at the top of the show, Peter Dutton called for the army to be sent into the Northern Territory. Albanese flew up there for some photos. Um, he admitted that consecutive federal governments for decades haven't done enough for the community up there and then he offered some support but not a whole lot so that has come up over the last few days as well which has kind of charged the debate you know people like 
basically the commentators on Sky News uh, feels like are using that as an opportunity to try and drive their side of the no vote as well. And I think that's probably what we're going to see a little bit of over the next little while. So, yeah, it could get really messy. There was a heated town hall meeting in Alice Springs a couple of days ago. That's another issue that we'll probably touch on. But separately from this, uh, we'll probably touch on that next week. Yeah, I'm not sure that when a lot of Indigenous people in Australia said that they wanted more representation, it was being represented in the form of a debate on Sky News. So mm. mm-hmm. maybe no. a miscommunication there. I don't think there are many people who want to be represented in the form yeah, of Yeah, I'm Sky not putting News. my hand up for that one either, to be honest. But yeah. definitely. Definitely correct, Dave. Look, that's something I think we can all agree on. Let's finish up with a kind of lighthearted political story that came up this week. Didn't get a lot of attention, not a lot of headlines. I kind of thought there could have been a lot more headlines around it given how clickbaity it is. But the Greens are going to present draft legislation within the next two months to legalise cannabis. They're freeing the herb, baby. Mm, yep. I know this is a story that a lot of my friends who hang out under the grandstands at Batuta Heights footy field will be mm. very happy to hear. But they've tried it a few times. Maybe this is the most serious attempt they've had at it, but they're finally going to legalize it, or at least they'll try. They've got so serious about legalizing it that they have gone and got a cost analysis from the parliamentary budget office. They're the numbers guys down in Canberra. They work out how much shit's going to cost, how much shit is going to make for the government, all that sort of stuff. They have estimated that legalizing the herb could generate $28 billion in revenue over a decade. A lot of money, um, and that's something the Greens are very happy about. I think we can all agree, $28 billion in a decade. It's a bit of coin. Good stuff. Mm. I'm not a money man, but I do know that the people who have attempted to grow the jazz cabbage out here in Batuta have not been successful because it is a desert. Yeah. So being able to obtain it legally would definitely, you know, circulate some money around the country. Yeah, the police are pretty good with the hydroponic setups out here. They crack down on them quite hard. So it would be nice and it'd be a lot easier. Like in New York or LA where you just walk into a corner store on every corner and get whatever you need, up, down, all that sort of stuff. Now, $28 billion, they reckon, and- I thought this was interesting from Shoebridge, the example they've used for what they can do with that $28 billion. Because obviously, like, $28 billion, that's a lot of money. But what does that mean? What does that equate to? What could we do with that? They've come out and they've said that you could use that to lift JobSeeker by $80 a fortnight. And they've said it's a serious opportunity for investment in social justice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find that to be quite funny from the Greens, that they're telling average Australians that... If we legalize weed, we'll make this amount of money and then we can use it to raise job seeker, which not me, there are people out there who, you know, basically run the stereotype the job seeker is for dull bludgers, um, you know, current affair likes to run stories on that sort of stuff. So they've gone, we're freeing the herb, but we're uh, going to use that to raise job seeker. I thought of all the examples they could have used, probably giving money to doll bludgers is not the greatest way to win over people who don't already vote for them. Yeah, look, i got to say, even though, it, you know, it's not my personal opinion, it does really feel like they're given the opposition a lot of ammunition. And I do think that if January 26th didn't happen last week, Sky News probably would have jumped on this 
much more quickly. But they've they've been busy. They've had a lot of people yeah. to kind of hate on for the last fortnight. So we'll see if they catch up next week. Like the Greens have been banging on about free dental for ages, right? Tell us how much free dental, how many people could receive fucking their free dental care as a result of free cannabis. Don't, don't fucking use that as an example, Greens Party. Come on. I think they're preaching to the converted here. I mean, I know a few people on JobSeeker, great people, but I think most of them were already convinced about legalizing cannabis and that it would be a good idea. I just think David Shoebridge, someone probably should have just cut him off after he said $28 billion. He should have said, mm. it's going to make $28 billion economy and walked away. Yeah, and I think that would have convinced a lot more people. Debt, getting out of, getting back in black. Yeah, you know. back in black, exactly. They need mm-hmm. to take a leaf out of mm-hmm. the very progressive liberals book. That's true. But you actually think, Dave, that this is uh, not necessarily a purely altruistic endeavor from the Greens? No, I did a little bit of digging and through a few connections I made there, it seems like the Greens are trying to win back a few voters that may have drifted to other parties on the so-called left side of politics. Um, There's a rising influence from the legalized cannabis party who have been gaining steady momentum. They won two seats in the Victorian election and the Western Australian upper houses. The legalized cannabis party have enjoyed the luxury of getting those votes with very little campaign promotions, aside from having the words <laughs> legalized cannabis on the ballots, which I think a lot of Australians see. And when they go into the votes with those long toilet paper Senate lists, they think, yep, that's something I want. And they tick it. It's the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. That's it. Yep. That's it. Legalized cannabis. Okay, vote for it. And that's they believe it. in one thing. And so they're taking taking votes away from the Greens, you reckon? Well, the Greens vote, I think, is still increasing, but it definitely seems like there would be a bit of crossover where if you want to legalise cannabis, that would be the first one you go to, not the Greens. But the legalised cannabis party might not be as cosy with the Greens party as many voters would think. Um, In recent years, Western Australian senators from the legalised party have been quoted referring to vaccine mandates as medical apartheid, (laughs) which I'm not sure some of the Greens candidates would agree with. And... More recently, the South Australian Legalised Cannabis Party have deleted a series of tweets. They've scrubbed them from the internet, of which they were very critical of Green Senator Lydia Thorpe and her view on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. So maybe the Greens Party just trying to, you know, nullify their opponents and neutralise the opposition. Claw back a little bit of territory. Mm, Fair enough. I think so. Sounds like the legalised cannabis guys, they're not too sure of where they stand on anything other than legalising cannabis, but... Yeah, they're probably gone, aren't they? If, if it's legalised, yeah, I can't see that party getting elected again. <laughs> I think if it becomes legal in the next year or so, there's a few legalised cannabis senators that might have a couple of years of pretty easy money not having to do anything. Yeah, mm. true. Unless they want to turn into the medical apartheid party, mm. then there may actually be some votes from the other side of the political spectrum. That's true. I don't know how much longevity that has either. I think maybe they have to go into like legalise all illicit substances maybe. Like we said, COVID is over. So it's finished. It's done. They need guys. to find a third thing to believe in. The sovereign yeah. citizen party, maybe. Cloud seeding. Cloud seeding. Maybe that's what it is. Stop cloud seeding. They've got a lot of options. Chemtrails. Yeah, chemtrails is another classic one. Something uh, for fluoride. Them to think about. <laughs> yeah, fluoride. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. I hope they uh, go toe to toe and they keep providing us with the good stuff. But that's, uh, I think that's it for this week. That's about it from me. You guys got anything else you wanted to add? Any other things that stuck out? No, that's it from me. I think we've well and truly dived into the trough here and got our way through it and we've come out the other end better for the experience. Hmm. And I need to go and iron my pants and steam my shirts because Canberra 
is open for business next week. Canberra is calling. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of uh, the last preseason trial. Look, maybe not hitting our finest straps, but it's the start of the year and we'll get there and it's an exciting year to come and it's exciting to have three of us on board the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you very much for today. Let's talk soon. Bye-bye.